Mark chapter 7 is where we're at. Mark chapter 7, we're going to look at, it's a lengthy passage, uh, verses 1 through 23, but I think it goes together. So we'll read that, and then we'll get into our lesson. Let's pray and again and ask the Lord to give us wisdom. Father, thank you for your word. Your word gives us light to direct our paths. Father, your word, we are or should be trying to hide in our hearts. Father, it's important. So as we look into it, Father, teach us from your word. Help us not to take your word lightly. And then may the Holy Spirit work. And may we start our weeks on Monday having heard from you. Change our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 7, let's read. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And they, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these 
evil things come from within and they defile a person. We all have our favorite actors and actresses, don't we? There are some people that can play a role very well. John Wayne was a great cowboy. I would have to say Sam Elliott runs him a close second. Christian Bale made a great Batman. Or maybe you like some of the other ones, the many. If you can keep up with them, maybe you like one of those other actors. Perhaps you ladies like actors. I'm not real up on women actresses. Catherine Hepburn. I like Lucille Ball. Okay. I like Lucy. All actresses and actors play a role, don't they? They act a character either on the screen or on the stage. They're acting this part in who they are on the stage or on the screen is different from who they are on a daily basis. I doubt we would see John Wayne walking down with his sidearm, right? On a daily basis. The Greek word for what they do is hypocrite. When you can't find a good English word, you just transliterate that Greek word, hypocrite. It's like where we get the word baptized. It's that same Greek word. They wear a mask or they play a part. Being a hypocrite had no real negative connotation back in the day in classic Greek. But in our text this morning, Jesus calls his adversaries, the scribes and the Pharisees, spiritual hypocrites. Because they're more concerned with outside show than inward authenticity. If I could borrow a word, we know they're spiritual posers. Whether they realized it or not. And Jesus himself pointedly said, you are whitewashed tombs. What is that? Full of dead men's bones. Calling them out. They would set up rules and regulations neither they nor others could follow, and they would enslave themselves and others to traditions made by men. So how about me and you this morning? You can't look at a text like this and not ask yourself, would Jesus call me a spiritual hypocrite? Am I wearing a mask? Am I playing a part? Am I more concerned about exterior, how I look on the outside, than what's going on on the inside? In our text this morning, Jesus tells us exactly what spiritual hypocrisy is in verses 6 through 8. Spiritual hypocrites, first of all, he says, ascribe honor to God with lip service, but they have hearts far away from God. Verse 6, they miss the connection between the heart and the lips. The heart must be near God for the lips to honor God, right? Second thing Jesus says in verses 7 and 8, spiritual hypocrites engage in purposeless worship. It's vain. Because they leave the commandments of God and they replace them with the tradition or the commandments of men. The Pharisees, they miss the connection between true worship and the Word of God. 
You cannot have true worship without knowing the Word of God. The Word of God is the foundation of our worship. So this morning, I'd like to do three things. Number one, I'd like to explain the text. Go quickly through the text and explain it. The second thing I'd like to do is explain how the heart and the Word of God are essential for authentic worship. And then I'd like to draw some applications for our lives as we allow the Word and the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Notice verse 1, once again, Jesus finds himself at odds with his religious adversaries, the scribes and the Pharisees. These scribes are guardians and expounders of the law. The Pharisees are these national moral separatists of Judaism and enemies of Jesus. And Jesus is not simply running into them anymore. In his early ministry, as Pastor Joss said, there's a storm coming. In that storm is those Pharisees and Sadducees, those, those scribes are actively pursuing him. They're seeking out opportunities to, to trick, to confound, and to frustrate Jesus and his disciples. Note what it says, they had come down from Jerusalem purposely. The phrase is used in chapter 3, verse 22, in that preposition, they were gathered to, or I would think maybe against Jesus. Verse 2, they're watching him. He's under surveillance. One of the most innocent things he could do, him and his disciples, was eating, and they were watching. Their surveillance was constant. They're not trying to find fault with what he says anymore, but what he does. There's a principle for us. We are being watched with a critical eye. Jesus was not eating. It says some of his disciples were eating. He was not eating. They were busy. They ate in shifts. Note their observations. His disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is, unwashed. The word defiled means common. It's used throughout the New Testament, Acts 2.44. Remember, the early Christians had all things in common. Same word, Jude 3. Stand up, stand up for your common faith. Same word. The problem was not that the, the disciples ate with dirty hands. Hopefully they listened to their moms enough. Wash your hands, wash... That wasn't the key. The key was they washed with hands not washed in a proper manner. So Mark explains what's going on. Contrary to Matthew, if you go over to Matthew and you read the, the other account of his account, he doesn't go into all this detail about washing. Mark does. He goes into this long explanation of ritual washing of hands and vessels and even the body itself. In other words, there was a proper way to wash. Literally translated, it means with the fist. With the fist, with the, with the, this thing's going crazy. It's good. With either the fist held out or with the fist rubbed in, there was a proper way to wash, or, or from the tips of the finger to the elbow, there was a proper way to wash. And the disciples were not washing in that manner 
going on. It says they held fast to this. The, the Jews and the people, they held this method fast. Why? Because it was tradition. It was handed down by the elders after all, but not by God. And they observed it. And it applied to other vessels, cups, pots, copper vessels, and even their body. We, that's what they, they baptized. They would wash when they'd come from the marketplace. After all, this washing is what God demands, right? God demands this. It's what pleases Him. It eliminates defilement. Why? Because the elders said so. The elders had made comments on the law that became law, is the idea. Some rabbis said they, they would build a fence around the law. So you couldn't break the fence, let alone break the law. Note Jesus' response. Jesus responded with Scripture as He always does, and He quotes from Isaiah 29. And He says, if I could paraphrase it, Isaiah wrote appropriately many years ago, what He said of your forefathers still holds true today. It's in the perfect tense. It goes on. It's true of you today. You leave the commandment of God and you hold fast to the tradition of men. How did they reject God's commandment? How did they reject God's commandment in order to establish their own tradition? Well, Jesus gives them an example. Jesus quotes the command of God through Moses. Jesus recognizes Moses' writings as authoritative, and he says, remember, Moses wrote, honor father and mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die, verse 10. If I could take just a second and speak to the kids. Kids, do you want to keep, you want to keep God's commandments? Honor your mom and dad. If you want to keep God's commandments, honor your mom and dad. This shows that you love them and love God. Remember, if you love God, you keep His commandments and obeying mom and dad and honoring mom and dad is just one of those commands. What were the Pharisees saying? The Pharisees saying, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry, Dad. I, I've dedicated all. It's, my money's in a spiritual CD. I can't touch it. It's Corbin. It's dedicated to God. Note what Jesus says in verse 13. You make void the Word of God by your tradition. The commands contained in Scripture they are the Word of God. Loving His Word is loving His commands. And He just doesn't leave it there. He goes on in chapter, or, or chapter 7, verses 14 through what we read, 23. He doesn't want His listeners to misunderstand. So He says, hear me. I want you to hear this, all of you. I want you to understand something. The Pharisees say that a man or woman dishonors God by eating with common or unclean hands. What I say 
I say that the things that enter into a man or a woman like food, even eaten with dirty hands, cannot defile a man. What I say defiles a man comes from within, from his hard, sinful heart. That's what defiles a man. This is why Jesus calls them hypocrites. They're more concerned with the outside than with the inside. And we know that God looks on the heart. So right in the middle of our long text this morning, I want to focus on verses 6 through 8. Jesus gives us two characteristics of spiritual hypocrisy in verses 6, 7, and 8. What does he say? Number one, spiritual hypocrites, they ascribe honor to God with lip service, but they have hearts far away from God. If you've ever watched a good ventriloquist, they can reach into a dummy or reach into a puppet and make their mouths move, and the object is not to move his or her mouth, but make that puppet move his lips, right? A good ventriloquist is fun to watch, a bad one, not so fun to watch. When it pleases Jesus to reach down and take hold of our heart, he controls our lips. It's interesting to look at this word lips used in Scripture. It's used over 126 times, and it's synonymous with speaking. The lips of the natural man speak wickedness and lies and bring strife and flatter and deceive. The lips of a man that God or woman that God touches their heart, grabs their heart and changes their heart speak praises and speak wisdom and righteousness and blessing, and the list goes on and on. What about the heart in Scripture? The heart in Scripture is used over a thousand times. Whoa. It's used over a thousand times, and it's the center of man, the inner part of man, the emotional, volitional part of man, the ethical, the spiritual part of man. The heart can be glad, the heart can be angry, compassionate, fearful, anxious, discouraged, resolute, desiring, intent, considerate, all these things. God looks on the heart. What does the Bible say of a heart? God, He looks on the heart, 1 Samuel 16, 7, and He seeks Men and women after his own heart, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. But there's a problem. Apart from God, our hearts are deceitful, right? And exceedingly wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9. And God knows our hearts, Psalm 42. But the good news is that Jesus died on the cross to change our hard hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, Ezekiel 36 says. So that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts the good news of the gospel, we can be saved, Romans 10. What does it say, Romans 10, 10? With the heart man believes and is justified, declared righteous. 
God changes our hearts and we cry out with the psalmist as we've heard read, Create in me a clean heart, O God. The natural man cannot say that. When God changes our hearts, we cry, Create in me a clean heart, and then, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. This is what the Pharisees missed. They missed this connection between the heart and the lips. A heart far away from God cannot ascribe honor to God. I think the idea is Hebrews 13, 15. This is the idea of lips that declare honor to God. The writer of Hebrews says in 13, 15, through him, through Jesus... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. The best sacrifice is fruit of lips that acknowledge God. So that brings us to our question, has God changed my heart? Have I recognized the work of Christ on the cross? Have I believed in my heart? If not, no amount of church going or good deeds will honor God. No amount of things I can do will honor God. No, no matter how many times I wash my hands in the right way will honor God. God is honored by a heart that knows, loves, and follows Him. That's a heart near to Him. So spiritual hypocrisy ascribes honor to God with distant heart. Second thing Jesus teaches us is that spiritual hypocrites engage in purposeless worship because they leave the commands of God and replace them with the commands of men. Verses 7 and 8. <clears throat> We need to define worship. As you look through this, and as I was studying, I looked in the theological dictionary, the, the, the definition of worship was this, the proper conduct in relation to those worthy of honor. And I guess that's a good definition. But when we think of worship, we've got to go back a little bit. The etymology of the word worship is from worth, which is evaluing, right, worth, and then ship. It's the quality of a given thing. We talk about someone having good seamanship. That means they're a good sailor. They have a quality of they're good at something. So this quality of a given thing. So worship is a valuing of God above everything because it is His due. They were worshiping God in vain. Your worship is in vain, Jesus said. Listen to these words, Psalm 29, to ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. 1 Chronicles 16, 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. In other words, ascribing to the Lord the glory due His name is worship. And worship is both an attitude and an action. I love Hebrews 12, 28. If I could paraphrase Hebrews 12, 20, because our God is a consuming fire and we will receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, 
then let us offer to God acceptable worship. What is that? With reverence and awe. It's an attitude, but it's also an action. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Our spiritual act of worship is to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Worship is an action. It is giving. It is singing. It is helping. It is serving. It is ascribing value to God by what we do because it is His due. Okay? It's ascribing value to God by what we do because it is His due. That's worship defined, but look at worship declined here. The problem was for the Pharisees that this worship was in vain. It was purposeless. This was without a purpose. Have you ever tried to do anything in vain without a purpose? I was thinking, well, what, how, what, do you, what, what can I illustrate this? Have you ever gone camping and it rains all night and you're in a tent and you try to build a fire the next day? It's vain. It's, it's, it's what Solomon would say, chasing after wind. You can't do it, right? Jesus says this, In vain you worship me. Teaching is doctrines, what we should believe, doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave, or literally you release, or you let go of the commandment of God, and you hold fast, you cling to the tradition of men. In other words, the Pharisees did not understand the connection between the Word of God and true worship. The Word of God is the foundation of our worship. It tells us who God is and how we're to worship. Psalm 95.3, For the Lord is great God, a great King above all gods. Isaiah 40, 26, he calls the stars by name by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Jeremiah 32, 17, nothing is too hard for you. Psalm 104, O Lord, my God, you're very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. The word of God is the foundation of our worship. If you listen to different people pray in public as an act of worship, we pray Scripture. The Word of God is the foundation for our worship, but the commands of men is the foundation for wrong doctrine or wrong teaching. I want to say tradition is not the problem. Tradition is not the problem, it's man-made tradition that is the problem. It's interesting, if you look up that word tradition in a Greek concordance, it appears three times in the words of Paul. Paul tells his listeners in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 3, he tells them, hey, maintain the traditions that we've delivered to you. So tradition is not the problem, it's man-made tradition. It's tradition that's based upon the commands of men that's the problems. The point is, we must align our traditions with the Word of God lest they become burdensome rules that miss the divine intention. Align our traditions with the Word of God. 
So what is spiritual hypocrisy described by Jesus? Lip service to God with a distant heart in vain worship because it's void of Scripture. May God take hold of our hearts that so, so we know His Word, and may He take control of our lips so we speak His worth. It's proclaiming the greatness of Him who called us from darkness, out of darkness into His marvelous light. So what can we learn? How do we live? We've already said you're being watched either for approval or for critique. For critique you're, you're being watched. That's a simple principle. I think another one is this. To the extent that we leave the commandments of God, we will hold fast to the commandments of men. We need to be on our guard. The Word of God determines our doctrine, what we believe. We're being bombarded with issue after issue Attacks on biblical manhood and womanhood and gender and all the things that go with the family. To the extent we leave the commandments of God found in His Word, we will hold fast to the tradition or the commandments of men. We need to be on our guard. Another principle, something we can learn. How's, how's my heart this morning? How's your heart this morning? Is it troubled? Is it at rest? Is it distant to God? Is it near to God? I love what Hebrews 10.22 says. Let us draw near to God with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. Because our hearts are sprinkled clean, we can have this assurance of faith. And we have this assurance of faith. We can draw near to God. Your heart will be more and more at rest as it becomes closer and closer to God, I think is the idea. But this takes time. It takes time that I need to spend with God. I need to draw near to God that He may draw near to me. So examine your heart this morning. And then lastly, I want to just say that whether or not we realize it, we are making traditions. We are handing down traditions, both as a church and as families. Either we hand down traditions like the Apostle Paul in line with the commandments of God or like the Pharisees in line with the commandments of men. What are some good traditions? What are some godly traditions? Church. We're commanded, don't, don't neglect assembling together. Serving, is each of you have a gift, serve one another, First Peter. Giving, hey, give to God as God has blessed you. God loves a cheerful giver. Singing, he's put a new song in our heart. All these things are based upon the commands of God. These are good traditions. We see that for the Pharisees, what was true in Isaiah's day was still true in Jesus' day. That's the problem with tradition. It's kind of self-perpetuating. It can be either good or bad. Let's make tradition a good thing in line with a heart close to God and worship that's grounded in the Bible.
Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Father, at times we all battle with this hypocrisy. And I think we need to realize that even when we don't feel like sometimes we've got to do things, but Father, help us do it with the right heart, a heart that's close to you. Father, I guess what it boils down to is why do I do what I do? Do I do what I do because you tell me to, and if I do, I better snap to it. And if you don't tell me to do something, Father, that can quickly become tradition. Uh, thank you for your word. Teach us. Help us to pursue a relationship with you. Take time to be with you and draw near to you with a clean heart and full assurance. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.